Hey everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. So as a mom, guys, there are so many decisions you make for your child. And those decisions don't start when you deliver your baby now. There are plenty of decisions to make throughout the pregnancy as well. I myself had a list of pros and cons so that I could decide on whether I was going to go the traditional route of an OBGYN or if I wanted to um, have a midwife. And I also was deciding on whether I was going to deliver my baby in the hospital or if I was going to do a water birth at home or in the hospital even. So the decision I made after researching made me comfortable and gave me and my husband peace of mind. So to be honest with you, we're living in a time of COVID-19 where there are so many uncertainties. If you were pregnant prior to the COVID-19 and are scheduled to deliver your baby soon, or if you got pregnant during the pandemic, or know someone who is currently pregnant, then this episode is for you. Today we have midwife Afua Hassan, who is the director of The Birthing Place located in Houston, Texas, and has been practicing midwifery for over 30 years. This episode will give you all the information that you need when it comes to the field of midwifery. Welcome to our podcast, Afua. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much. Now, let the people know a little bit about your background and a fun fact. Okay, a fun fact? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my, my name is Afua Hassan. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and I became a midwife, um, after graduating from Brown and I was there at Brown to be a, um, to get my undergrad in pre-med and I wanted to be an obstetrician because that's the only thing I knew about how you deliver babies. And so while I was there, I was seen by a midwife in the clinic and I was like, they still have those? I was like, no, that's what I am. So I... Um, finished up at Brown and then I um, came to Texas to start my midwifery career and so uh, I have four children two girls and two boys they were all all born at home Wow! and they were all breastfed so I was really fortunate because I was a midwife for five years before I had children so I've never been to an obstetrician you know, for myself. Okay, so this is the fun fact. Okay. So when I was pregnant with my first, my mother came down to be with me and she said, "Um, so what hospital are we going to? And I said, mom, a midwife, I do home birth. And Mm -hmm. she said, that's for the other people. This is our baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so, I mean, it took her a minute to adjust to the fact that the baby was going to be born at home and, and she was. And um, yeah, so that's my fun fact. Wow, wow. I, you know, I have four kids. I have four boys. Okay. Um, um, I, I thought about the idea of having them at home, but I was so afraid something was going to go wrong. Uh-huh. And I never wanted to take that risk. But I could see my mom saying the same thing your mom said. And then right. like, uh-uh, we're not, we're not doing this. We're going right. to be at the hospital like everybody else. I can still right. see that. <laughs> So Afua, let let the audience know, because I know you said you're a midwife and a lot of our audience, you know, don't, they don't necessarily know the roles of a midwife. Mm -hmm. So what is a midwife and how do they differ from a doula or OBGYN? Okay. 
So um, the definition of midwife means with woman. Mm -hmm, Okay, mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Like if you looked it up, that's what it means. But as a midwife, I uh, do prenatal care, labor and delivery, and postpartum care. And um, so I draw blood. I do everything except uh, I send my moms out to get an ultrasound. I don't do ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. And so everything is here at the office. And um, a doula is most times a woman who supports a woman in labor, gives her a massage, you know, tells her she's doing well, helps her to change position, but she doesn't do any midwifery care or the medical model of care. Mm. And an obstetrician is a physician who um, does prenatal care, labor and delivery, and postpartum care, but um, what women will even say is that um, mm-hmm. most obstetricians mm-hmm. are not, it's not personalized because they have to see so many clients or they call them patients. They have to see so many right. patients in a day that like I'll see four, maybe five, but five is the most. I spend an hour, you know, with my clients unless they need less time. Some of them need more time. Mm-hmm. And we go through this journey together. And when they have their baby, I'm there. With obstetricians, especially now, the practice is there might be 10 doctors in the practice. And so you get whoever's on call. Right. So you've seen your physician. <clears throat> like for you, Joanne, how many of your doctors that you saw during your pregnancy actually delivered your baby? Um, so they make us see everyone in the practice, the midwives oh, okay. and the obstetricians during okay. the, the, the um, prenatal visits so that you will get whoever's on call. So, so at right. least you have met them and have had some kind of rapport with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because most times moms don't even know that. They don't know until they're in labor that they're not getting their doctor. So mm-hmm. when they call, when, when prospective clients call, and they're early in pregnancy and have, they're like, so like, what's one of the differences? And I'm like, if you hire me, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so women who, like, I got a call today from a woman who was 23 weeks and she was like, I just found out my doctor, the chances of my doctor being there is one out of 10. And <laughs> she was like, that's not, you know, that's not what she signed up for. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what I tell moms all the time is, a lot of times when you go to an obstetrician, it's like you want, you go into a Ford store, a Ford buying a car, and mm-hmm. you ask for a Maserati. Well, that's not what they sell. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we get a lot of one-on-one. I get a lot of moms who have been seeing a physician, and the physician, they don't have time to answer questions. Oh, I had a mom tell me one time she had 10 questions, and the doctor said, okay, ask one this week, and when I see you next what? month, you can I'll answer the next one. What? Because in the state of Texas, in the state of Texas, um, doctors only have to spend six minutes with you. What? Yeah, six minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Six minutes. And so- now with COVID, when I asked this lady who called me today, she said, oh, no, it's, everything is virtual. I said, well, how do they hear the baby's heartbeat? How do they feel out of it? She said, no, we just talk on the, t- on the, on the Zoom like we're doing. Oh my gosh. Wow. 
I mean, I, I will say for sure that the midwives, so my practice, like I said, they had OBs and midwives. Right. And if there's nothing going on with you, um, you have no, um, you're not presenting with anything that is high risk, you get right. the midwife. So I've had the midwife twice. And this last time I had my midwife and it was more personable, more hands-on, more encouraging because they're there the OB, if there's something going on with another patient in a the hospital, they're out of there. Like they are right. going to do whatever surgery they need to right. do. The midwife is more hands-on. And I really love that. I really do. Something else that I think is important, what you, you mentioned of Fua is that you're there throughout the whole entire process, because this is not only a physiological thing going on, mm -hmm. it's emotional, it's mental right. as well. So yes, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. So you you get to know you get to know your client three dimensionally. Correct. So I think Correct. that that's important as well. Like I haven't had kids yet, and you know I was thinking, oh, you know, Kim, you're gonna go the traditional route. But now you know after meeting you, I'm like, well, I may want to reconsider yeah. that. And definitely not with COVID out there, right? <laughs> oh yes, just one person, please, one person. <laughs> And if it gets bad again, because there was a time that the dads couldn't even go at all. They would just drop right. them off curbside and the moms would have to walk in and and have a baby. And then the dad wouldn't even see them until they picked them up because they were leaving. Wow. The hospital. That that sucks. That sucks. And that could be like two, at least two days. Well, well yeah. depending on the hospital, because some of them, they do kick you out really early. Correct. What are the credentials required to become a midwife? So there are essentially, I would say, two types of midwives. There is the CNM, which is a certified nurse midwife. Mm -hmm. And now that certified nurse midwife has to have a bachelor's in nursing. And then she gets her advanced nurse practitioner license in midwifery. So she is actually an RN, and then she has a master's in midwifery. Okay. And that, but the kind of midwife that I am, I'm what you call a direct entry midwife. So I've been a midwife for almost 38 years and um, I went, I graduated from Brown, but that had nothing to do with midwifery. And then I came down to Houston and I went to a midwifery school for three years. And then I worked at the school for three years. And mm -hmm. then I was really fortunate because I, um, when I came to Texas, I came because there were African-American midwives here that said, oh, in Houston, that's why I came to Houston said, yeah, come on and, and um, we'll take you underneath our wing. Mm -hmm. And so it was, a to for me, it was a total of 10 years before I um, said, okay, I would hang out my shingle and say, oh, I'm a midwife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. but, um, so um, like in the state of New York, um, they're called professional midwives or certified, mm -hmm. like they have different names, but the there are still states that it's illegal for me to practice. Oh, really? Yeah, there, there are still like 20 states where it's illegal. And that's why I came to Texas, because back then, Connecticut, it was illegal. It's not anymore, but um, it was illegal. And there's some states where only CNMs can practice. Like Georgia is one of them, even though, and they just changed that, even though... Uh, Licensed midwives like myself have been there forever, but then mm -hmm. they changed it. And now they're, um, so midwives now uh, who are like myself have to be um, 
what is it? CPM, Certified Professional Midwives. And what happened was a group of white women got together. And I mean, I believe in it in that they were like, we have to have some standardized um, licensing going on. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but they just got together and made up this rule. Now I didn't, uh, I didn't do it because I was grandmothered in. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I can only practice in the state of Texas, but where I am, I'm not going anywhere. I'm 61. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going back to the cold. Um, and uh, when there is an argument that, oh, well, you should become one anyway, because, um, you know, for the standardized license, I said, but I'm not paying more money to do what I already do. Right. So, right. I mean, and that's me. Now, there are a lot of people who, who are licensed midwives like myself and then went and took the test, but I'm not giving them people any more money than I have to. I say the same thing all the time no, to our association. All the time. I'm like, I'm not giving them any more money. I mean, I-, I <laughs> Really? Because they're not my friend anyway. They're not my friend. Okay. They're not my friend. And uh, so, yeah, no. Right. So I, I have a registration in my field of dietetics and I have a master's degree in whatever. But we have people similarly to you who were grandfathered in who've been in the field for years prior to it requiring a registration who are licensed dietitians. But in the states that require a licensure or um, I don't know if they're able to practice in every state. I'm not sure. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And they probably aren't. And or if they've been doing it a long time, where are they going? Like I'm not going anywhere, so right. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. So Akua, when you were speaking, you know, I was listening intently um, on the, the the racial divide that you mentioned, and I'm also eyeing that picture of Billie Holiday in the background right there. <laughs> and, and, and I was real clear. Yeah, yes. my friend. Anyway, I didn't know who they were. But you got it. Okay. What's your question? <laughs> My question is, let us know, what is the history of midwifery specifically for the Black communities now? Yes. Okay, so um, I'm sure that um, everywhere in the world, there were midwives, okay? Uh, and But when we were brought here in the 1600s, or like we were, some of us were already here, um, midwifery back in Africa was something that we definitely did. Mm -hmm. And when we were enslaved, um, a lot of times we even were the midwives for our captors. Mm -hmm. And definitely we were for ourselves because white people weren't coming to deliver our babies. Mm -hmm. And so that practice of midwifery grew um, from because a lot of us remember the herbs that we used mm -hmm. and we were the healers we weren't just the midwives but oh look there's an infection we'll go out in the garden and get this herb and I'm not an herbologist I, I, I can honestly tell you I don't know about the tinctures and all that but I still have um, colleagues like Um Salama in, in Georgia mm -hmm. and uh, Rashida who's here in Houston they know, oh, yeah, put some cod liver oil, put some castor oil. They know all that stuff. So I just call them when I have one of my clients or uh, have a problem with a certain situation during their pregnancy. And, and But what happened was, you know, after Jim Crow, like, okay, so we were released 
from our captors. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing pretty well and we were establishing um, ourselves as, uh, we were always productive, but I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about midwives, but we started owning businesses and everything. But then when Jim Crow came and the white people saw, oh, black people are lifting themselves up, they shut mm -hmm. it down. Mm -hmm. and or like yeah no you and that's based on the color of our skin but so we had as midwives we had to keep doing what we were doing so midwives have go been here you know forever and we were even delivering poor uh white people who couldn't afford to go once they started going to the hospital or having doctors come to the house, we were even mm -hmm. doing it then. And like, I just finished reading um, Gladys Milton's book. She was in Florida. Mm -hmm. And she um, was a midwife from 59 on to the 80s. And, um, and so they trained her because there was nobody to deliver all these black babies and these poor white people. So doctors took her into the office and um, told her, okay, this is how you do it. And then they would have the moms come to them for prenatals and say, yes, you're um, okay to have a home delivery. So she would deliver the babies and then bring the birth certificate filled out and they would, you know, sign it. Well, then when the 70s came, they said, yeah, we don't need y'all anymore. Mm. And they told her, come on in and turn in your stuff. And she was like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm, I'm fine, and, and that happened. So that was in Florida. It happened in Alabama. It happened in Georgia, where they would call, like, they had trained all these midwives to the degree that they had trained them. And then one day, because doctors saw that not only were the poor people going to the midwives, but some people with means would, you know, pay them $10. Mm. And the doctors were like, hey, that's our money. Mm not even caring that when they put the black midwives out of business and they still was no place for the black people to go, mm -hmm. that they weren't going to have care. They just shut it down. They called them come in one day and it wasn't just Gladys Milton in Florida, but they did that in Alabama. They did it in Georgia. Bring your little bag. Okay. We don't need you anymore. And so some midwives went underground and were still delivering babies. But some people, like myself, like I didn't stay in Connecticut because I want to go to jail. <laughs> like, I'm like, I love midwifery, but I'm not going to jail. And so right. I came to a state where it was legal. And so um, the resurgence of midwifery... Um, started happening even before Ida Mae Gaston, but you know, because she, and, and let me say, I love her. Like mm. you read a lot that these new girls, cause she, Ida Mae Gaston wrote Spiritual Midwifery. Mm. And um, it's like the Bible of midwifery. And she's older now and she said some things that were inappropriate, but mm. all the things that she has done for us. And when I say us, I mean black people, black midwives. Mm -hmm. When MANA, MANA is um, Midwives Alliance of North America, Organization of Midwives, and we would go in the 80s and say, look, we need a women of color section. Oh, no, y'all don't need that. You fine. And 
anime would be right with us saying no like we have our own they have their own issues that need to be addressed that they can address mm-hmm. please no they didn't so um now there are still not enough african-american midwives but i'm so fortunate because when i came on board Ayana, Rashida, Althea, Nankuleko, Um Salama all embraced me. And they weren't all here mm-hmm. in Texas, but Ayana Ade and Rashida Mushtabath. Rashida was in Chicago, Ayana was here in Houston, and they started an organization, CPAD. CPAD is Childbirth Providers of African Descent. I think their first conference was in 81. Mm, wow. And they got they got birth workers from all around the country to meet. And one of my um, college classmates saw an ad, and this is before Google and computers. We, it, and when I was in college, I had a Selectric, okay? It was no computer. <laughs> it was no computer. And so um, I was able to hook up with them. Mm-hmm. And there's not like, okay, we're all African-American. There's nothing like being around us you know i'm not saying i don't want to be around white folks but we have a soul connection that and like what somebody said to me the other day you don't see hyenas hanging out with lions right hyenas hang out with hyenas and so it's not a it's not a racist thing Mm -hmm. it's a preference thing Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. a it's a shared experience thing and so I was the youngest little thing. I was 23. (laughs) And I was embraced by these sisters. And for me to be 61 now, um, it is uh, the wealth of knowledge that I got from them. From I met Miss Smith, who died at at over 100. She was in Alabama, and I would drive through, because she was right off the highway. And... I would just cry. Miss Smith, this is this is an expensive hobby. And she was like, girl, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? She has the book, too. Listen to me good. And I just finished rereading that because, you know, you think you have it bad. She had to walk in the cold, in the rain, five miles. They give her a chicken or nothing. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, uh, but when you listen to the women who she delivered their babies or the children that she did, like, it's like what I have now in terms of my clients who love the experience because for most, not all, for most women who go to the hospital, they have a procedure done. And I'm not talking about a C-section. A lot of vaginal deliveries are like procedures. Okay, one, two, three, we're going to give you some paper, going to give you gonna give you that okay push that that here we have an experience Mm -hmm. and moms like i had two births back to back just the other day one first time mom it was over 24 hours the second one was a third time mom she walked in and 10 minutes later had a baby Mm -hmm. and having a baby for the for the sister who doesn't have one after pushing the baby out an unmedicated birth Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can't do that's true there's nothing like there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, so 
we're getting ready to start. We're we, we've already started. We're um gonna have a black-owned grocery store. It's called Simply Nourish because we need to nourish our community. Yeah. And our goal is twenty to raise twenty million dollars. And I've had people, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, huh, I push that for babies. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> like, and, and so I had a meeting of the birth and place moms. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Because they were all, well, it was only 10 of them. Because God only have 10. But um, in a space. But they were like, oh, yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. That's 1 million people to give us $20. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're going for. All wow. right. I love it. Simply Nourish. Yes, Simply Nourish Market. I love it, too. We're always talking about, you know, having our own stuff in our communities on this podcast because... And it's going to be in a food desert, too. Right. That's exactly where it needs to be. That's who needs Mm -hmm. nourishment. You know, for for clarification, I wanted to find out... um, when they were shutting down all the midwives, was it only black midwives they were shutting down or black and white midwives in the Well, there weren't that many white ones. So I oh, okay. like the pictures the pictures that um we see of them like going, they have the white dress on and they got the little bag. They were all uh-huh. black midwives. So mm-hmm. I'm sure there were some but they weren't in the pictures. Right, right. You know, I'm sh- I, I'm sure, but we dominated. That was what we dominated. Right. Wow. You know, and I was looking at something that I wanted to share. I'm actually looking at, out of all places, Lamaze.org, and it has the history of black midwives here. And there's a quote by Shafia Monroe, and she's a direct entry-level midwife. And she says... I, that's my sister. That's, that's my sister. <laughs> this is what she says. She says, one of the darkest moments in U.S. history was the systemic eradication of the African-American women, midwife, excuse me, from her community, which resulted in legacy of birth injustices. Wow. She's from Alabama. Ah, and then on top of that, Linda Villarosa from the New York Times stated that black infants in America are now more than twice as likely to die than white infants. And And I just can't help but think, Afua, you know, shutting down the majority of black midwives and Mm -hmm. now seeing, you know, the results of how black people, black infants are disproportionately impacted. If there's not a direct correlation, like there, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me. Right. Right. Because they don't care about us. Okay. And so when they shut it down, there was, it wasn't like, okay, all these places have black hospitals for the moms to go to, or they could even afford to go to. And so they, it was just like, uh, if the midwife didn't do it underground, then the family did it themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And like right now, I do not condone um, this free birthing that women are doing, just doing it themselves. What? If you want to do it, okay, fine. But the deal is, is that when an emergency happens, are you ready? Are you okay if the baby doesn't make it? Mm. Because I had a mom call me. She said, well, it's so dangerous going to the hospital. Do you recommend I just stay home by myself? I said, no, no. I think if you can't afford a midwife, and I totally get that, um, then you need to arm yourself with enough information so when you go up into that place, 
that you get service like you need service. And most women don't want to take the responsibility. Even coming to a midwife, when they realize that there are things that they have to do, they prefer to just stay at the doctor because they don't tell you, you got to drink a lot of water. This is what the diet you have to eat. This, this, you know, they're like, okay, you only can gain 10 pounds or whatever, 20 pounds. <laughs> And as African-American women, sometimes we gain more right. and it's okay. Now, sometimes it's not okay. But, um, like, I gain 60 pounds every time and I was fine. Me too. Yeah, you know, Every time. <laughs> and, and they'll tell a woman, that they told this woman she was 24 weeks pregnant. She was 5'8", 189 pounds. You're obese. Uh-huh. Obese. Like, I'm like, okay, compared to who? White Ooh, people? Right. You know, and so... And so the reason why we're dying is because they don't listen to us in there. Mm-hmm. We like, oh, black women are strong. That's not a problem. Or like, and if they don't listen to Serena, because we yes! all know Serena's story. Oh my right? God. <laughs> and so for yes. your listeners who do not know Serena's story, she was in the hospital with her first baby. Now, one of the things that I do say is that she, before she, um, went in she said oh i'm gonna get an epidural and i said what why are you gonna get an epidural you know you have a problem uh she has blood clots Mm -hmm. and getting an epidural will increase your risk of getting a c-section but she did it anyway she did it anyway so she got her epidural and shortly after that she had a c-section because that happens a lot unfortunately Mm -hmm. and so with that, she, a blood clot started to form. And so she went out to the desk because her mother was in there. She didn't want to, in the room with the baby, she didn't want to scare her mom. So she went out and said, I, I need my heparin and I need a CAT scan. Because uh, they said, oh, no, you're fine. Go back in the bed. You're okay. Oh and then she went back in the room, started coughing, her incision opened up, blah, blah, blah. She goes out again, (laughs) profusely bleeding, uh, sweating. I need a casket and my heparin. Oh, you're fine. Go back to bed. So then they did an ultrasound. She said, it's not an ultrasound. I need a casket. And because they did the ultrasound, they didn't see it. Well, then when they finally did the casket, they saw the blood clot. And if they're not going to listen to Serena, Right. She has a gazillion dollars herself. Her <laughs> husband got a half a gazillion dollars. And uh, so you know they're not going to listen to little people like us. Right. And the prob- one of the problems is we don't even know that we're dying. We don't even know that our babies are dying three to four times as much as white babies. Now, all our, our total infant mortal- mortality and morbidity is too high, even for the white people. And what doctors are saying is because we're obese, we're on drugs, we have hypertension, and we have diabetes. And what I say is those other countries, because we are 50th, there are 49 countries that do better than us. Right. And I said, so you think they don't have that too? Mm-hmm. You think they don't have those four comorbidities? They do, but their system of... of um, Serving the women is so totally different mm-hmm. than ours. And so we're dying. Hmm. Hmm. We're dying. 
it's and it's it's I feel like it's magnet it's it's been amplified I should say in the last few months like I see it everywhere I I, I don't know it no it's been happening see but because we're talking about it now more. it's mm -hmm. being published more but it's been happening for more than 30 years and like the the biggest problem is that we as black women don't even know it and it has nothing to do with our socioeconomic status because black women who have a doctorate die more than white women that haven't even graduated from high school. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't even know it. We were like, oh yeah, yeah let me go to the doctor. And, and, and just like you said, oh no, um, what happens if something happens something happens stuff happens it happens in the hospital it happens at home and things happen uh in a birth center but what kind of experience do you want to have and sometimes when things happen in the hospitals because they make it happen mm -hmm. or they don't stop it from happening mm -hmm. and and then it's like oh no you're fine no you're fine like i had a mom postpartum the baby came out, she was fine, and she wanted to get up and go to the bathroom. But I was right there. When she got up, it was blood. I was like, oh, you need some pit, let me give it to you. And she lay back down, and then she was fine. But if I just, she was like, oh, I'm a little dizzy. Oh, that's okay, go ahead and go. No, I'm listening to her, I'm looking. I'm right there with mm -hmm. her. And so, and I believe them. It's not just, oh, you know, because my clients, they're the, they're, they know more than I do because the, the baby's inside of them. Right. When I was having the baby, I was, knew the most because it was inside of me. So I have to listen to them for them to tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Have you found that over the last 40 years that there has been different periods where Black women are finding more barriers to accessing a midwife. Like comparing when you first started to now, do you find that people are using midwives less or are they using it more? I have more African-American clients now than I did when I was in school. Um, I remember when I was in school and my instructor, um, Mercy Inyang, she was a Nigerian woman who... Uh, studied nursing and got her SEM, which is the equivalent of a CNM here, certified nurse midwife in England. And mm -hmm. in her practice, I just remember one black couple. Everybody else was white or Hispanic. And, um, but now when I first started, most of my clients were white. And then the next group were the Latinas. They came and now I, my African-American mom's families are coming, even though their families are like, have you lost your mind? Mm -hmm. You know, not all of them, but um, they're like, no, 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 you got to go to the hospital. Just like my mom. My mom's like, oh, yeah, that's for other people. And that's not for our baby. <laughs> so, so now I have more African-American women, but I have to say this, and I get in trouble all the time. Um... I had a mom to call me and said, oh, we plan on having a baby next year. What, what form of Medicaid do you take? Mm. And I said, if you plan on having a baby next year, why don't you plan on working enough to be able to pay for it? Mm. 
Because for me, I don't take many. I don't take any insurance. Mm-hmm. I don't take any because they don't pay anything. Right. And um, in in the beginning of my career, I did discounts. I did free. I did. But when you do that, they don't value what it is you do. No. I have. I, I I can't tell you. Uh, the number of people who oh well I'm gonna pay you or I give them a discount I don't see them like it's no more nothing but people who pay me my full fee oh mm-hmm. uh, hey huh, huh, like and they really value what it is that I do so mm-hmm. uh, I'm at the point now and I get criticized a lot because like your question was do they have problems accessing care because there is a practice here in Houston that takes Medicaid and, but what I tell them is read the reviews and they're like, yeah, they're awful. I'm like, well, they got to take a whole bunch of people. Mm. And you, you know, there is a, there is a mentality of, oh, like I've, I've been on Medicaid, but there's a, there is a mentality of all oh, those Medicaid moms, blah, 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 right. you know? And so you get what you pay for. You don't pay anything. You, know, you get very little. Right. <laughs> so, and that's unfortunate that's unfortunate very much but if you plan you telling me you planning then plan mm-hmm. so i wanted to ask you that question just piggybacking off off of what you just said if you're gonna pay very little you get very little for so for someone like myself it's a two-part mm-hmm. question who doesn't have children i am into you know finding out who's going to be my provider So the first question Mm -hmm. I have for you is what are some things that people who are in the stages of planning need to look for? And Mm -hmm. additionally, do you think that midwives are going to become more necessary because of this COVID crisis we're going through? Well, personally, it's not even COVID. It is in terms of are midwives going to be more necessary? Yes, they are. I try to do everything I can to increase the number of black midwives. I, um, because like when they come in, they're like, Oh, I'm home. I went over here to this and she was nice and everything, but this is home. Right. And, and so I try to do that. I, well, I have in the past. I'm not, I'm not taking students anymore, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're needed because presently only 1% of women have their baby outside the hospital, Mm -hmm. 1%. And doctors are trying to shut down that 1%. Uh, Because what we're showing women, there's another way to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a number. We can know your name. We can, you know, I go to the house. I help with breastfeeding. I, I, clients. 10 years, 20 years down the road, call me up. Hey, I'm going through this. What, you know, what do you think? And so it's a, it's a relationship that is developed that goes beyond, because my goal is not that you just get your baby. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of counseling, uh, you know, with the couples because having a baby changes your life. I have couples who just met. I have couples been together for a long time and it doesn't even matter because it, Having a baby changes not your life, but your partner's life. It changes your relationship, your expectations, things that you thought 
oh yeah he he thinks the same way uh no the hell he doesn't and, and then how are you going to mediate that because my goal is that at when the, by the time your children come to me to deliver their babies you are coming together you're not coming with your new wife and you're not coming with your new husband. You're coming together for me to be your kid's midwife. And that takes a lot of work. Oh, yeah, I like that, that counseling aspect, because a lot of couples think, oh, a child is going to fix something, not realizing right. <laughs> that's a whole monkey wrench. That's a whole mo And I'm pretty sure you've seen that. Afua. That's a whole monkey wrench you're throwing into the equation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. Clearly. So, so, so you did, were I, saying, did I answer your second part of your question? Yes, 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 did. yes, you did. You did. Okay. You were saying that um, a little bit earlier that you've seen a lot of people having kids at home, like on their own. So is this something that's due to the COVID-19 being around? No, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's called unassisted birth. Sometimes, well, I think a lot of times it's because they don't have the money. But then some are are bold enough to, no, I don't need anybody. And um, what I say is, as long as you're okay, if the outcome is not what you expect, because a lot of times baby comes out, it's fine. Like if you leave it alone, if you leave birth alone, at least 95% of the time, it's gonna be okay. So that 5%, whew, mm. whew. I had a birth one time and uh, this little girl wanted to be born at home so badly because n at no time did she tell me um, the cord was around the neck. And that's when the heart rate, when I can suspect it, if I'm listening during a contraction and the heart rate goes down, it didn't go down at all. So the head comes out and the cord is wrapped around the neck twice. So tight, I couldn't even put my finger in between her neck and the cord. And the dad was down there with me. And inside, uh, I mean, if I had a diaper on, I probably would have wasted it all up. <laughs> and so there's a maneuver that I had to do so the baby didn't shoot out. I did it. And then I unwrapped the cord and she just cried. I didn't have to recess her or anything. So the dad said, oh, shit. I was, I was scared. I said, me too. He said, but you didn't look like it. I said, you paid me too much money to look like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, there, there are just so many situations that could. And so um, I had a client who I delivered their first baby and she's pregnant now. And she said, oh yeah, I want to come to you to do the prenatals and we're going to do it by ourselves. I said, what did you say? Yeah, well, you only have to be there. We'll just come back. You do the birth certificate. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not yeah. like, I'm, I, and, and I really like them, but that's what they wanted to do. There was no more conversation. I'm sure she's still pregnant. I'm just not doing that. Wow. Wow. It's free birthing, man. Listen, we learned so much from you today, Afua. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm done or not. I don't know. God, de God decides whether I have more kids. I wish <laughs> there was somebody like you that I knew here in Georgia because I'm in Georgia. And Where, um, what state are you in? I'm in Georgia. Oh, okay. I'm in Georgia. I tried to have, I tried to go to the birthing center one time, but my first was a C-section and the third, the last, the um, three afterwards were V-backs. The state of Georgia doesn't allow you to have a birthing center child after you've had a C-section. So. Really? Wow. Get some yeah. midwives. I know that will hold you up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we, that's a conversation we can have off the air. Off <laughs> so tell everyone where they can find you, Afua. Okay. So the name of the, um, my business is The Birthing Place. So it's thebirthingplace.com mm-hmm. and um, Facebook is The Birthing Place. On Instagram, it's The Birthing Place. On Twitter, it's The Birthing Place. And the, my number is 713 Midwife. Okay. Nice mm-hmm. and easy. Yeah, yeah, real easy peasy. So um, now we didn't talk about nutrition, but that's okay. We can if you have um, anything that you want to add. Sure. Okay. So weight gain for me and my moms is not um, like, it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of my colleagues would say, oh yeah, fat women, I don't do fat women. I was on a, I was on a panel with uh, midwives and, and this lady said, my daughter-in-law is obese. Would you take her? And all them white people said no. And I said, well, I'm obese. So uh, yeah. And obese people push out a baby just like everybody else. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But when it is a problem though, I see the blood pressure rising. So but it's really important that, you know, you drink going towards a, a drink, uh, almost a gallon of water a day, and you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and have healthy snacks in between. Like, and because in the beginning, you can start having headaches because mm-hmm. you might not eat like that. But, like, you might get up and don't eat until 2 o'clock, but you're pregnant now. Mm-hmm. And so you need to eat a lot sooner than you normally would. But I will suggest that women who are pregnant talk to their healthcare provider about proper nutrition. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things you don't want to be is constipated um, when you go into labor. Because I I ask moms, you constipated? No, I'm like, you go every day? No, I go every three days. I'm like, you're constipated. <laughs> nah, that's how I was forever and ever. I'm like, well, uh, you've been constipated forever. forever ever, ever. Right. And I'm like, you eat every day? Yeah, I eat every day. I'm like, well, you need to move your bowels every day. And you have no idea how many moms after start drinking water, eating more green leafy vegetables, that they're like, wow, this feels so much better. Mm-hmm. I had to get pregnant to know I need to poop and what the pooping feels like every day. So nutrition is definitely um, uh, a part of what it is that I I counsel moms on. I don't tell them what they can eat, but I do want to know what they're eating so that like if they start swelling at 25 weeks pregnant and pregnancy Mm -hmm. is 40 weeks, uh, I'm like, you know that pork that you eat? You can't eat that anymore. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't start off saying you can't eat pork because you like it. And I have moms who eat it and they're fine the whole time. Mm -hmm. But if at 25 weeks pregnant and they start swallowing, I'm like, because I always start with the most simplest thing. Are you drinking water and what are you eating? Like that, when I have any problem, that that's what we go over. That's where Mm -hmm. we start as opposed to, oh, you got preeclampsia. Oh, you got this. Oh, you got that. Because most of the time, water and proper nutrition solves a lot of issues that's right. true and it's the simple things too that make the world of difference correct correct mm-hmm. it, it is and so I, I i am proud of you women for doing what you do but you just gotta let me know 
uh, where I can find it. I will, I will tell you exactly where to find it. <laughs> well, it was so great to have you, Afua. We learned so much. And I hope, Kim, you you heading to the route of the midwife. Yes, I'm taking notes. <laughs> taking notes for sure. And you can always come to Houston to have babies. Just, just like, you know. If you fall in love with me, I have a lot of international (laughs) clients who come towards the end and I just catch their little babies. Okay. I'll keep that noted. (laughs) Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And please remember to rate and review us. And um, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.